Good morning, everybody. So nice to see you here today, worshiping the Lord. And um, around the world today will be celebrated the birthday of the church. Today is Pentecost Sunday, where you read about the birth of the church in the second chapter of the book of Acts. Regardless of denominations, most every denomination will at least make a reference to that. Some services will be totally uh, dedicated to that. And um, I'm glad for the church, aren't you? I actually think that 10 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most important hour of the week. And I hope that we all make that a priority. Almost at any given Sunday uh, from our congregation, we can have members strung clear across this nation and even around the world. You know that? It just happens. I know we have some members today that are cruising um, the shores of Alaska. Lucky stiffs. <laughs> and uh, you are the goingest people. That's for sure. And, uh, but other than vacations and times away, I think on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, this is the best place that, that we could possibly be. Would you mind to stand with me one more time? I know you were just seated. <clears throat> there are two things that um, I would like to bring to our attention today. One of them is this, that the First Lady of Ukraine made a plea this week to the American people. She said, please do not forget us. Please do not forget us. And we have a tendency to do that. Terrible things happen, war comes, and we say, oh, isn't that horrible? But when you look at the devastation that that country has endured, and the thousands of people who have been slain, and the billions of dollars worth of buildings that have just been totally demolished. It's not a just war by any stretch, by any means. Buildings of, that housed residents, that was their home, that was where they lived, without any warning, just bombed to smithereens and people destroyed. Some time ago online, I saw a video of Christians in Ukraine, men and women, boys and girls just like us, standing out in open air, and they were singing a song of praise and adoration to our Lord. So I want us to pray for that situation. And then we're all aware of the terrible tragedy that happened in Uvalde, Texas, just recently, and that is... 21 people dead on March the 24th, and 19 of that 24 were children that were needlessly murdered. Do you know that since that tragedy that seems just like that, that there have been 29 more mass murders in our country, 29 more since Uvalde? that some of them we haven't heard a thing about. A mass murderer is considered when four or more people are injured 
or killed. There have been 29 such incidents. And actually, I heard, I believe, of one more just this morning, making it 30. Can you imagine the devastation and the tragedy of those parents and anyone who lost a child, a grandchild? I, I cannot imagine what they are going through. So I would like for you to bow your heads with me, and I want us to take these requests to the Lord, if we will please. Lord, this is a perilous world in which we are living, and you told us that it would be such. Lord, I pray for the situation in Ukraine. I pray for those precious people. So many have been displaced by the millions. They are in countries that are not their homeland. They have left family, they've left homes, they've left everything behind. They're separated from other loved ones. They have suffered much tragedy and much heartbreak and ruin. I ask, Lord, that somehow you will bring an end to the situation. That somehow, Lord, your love and peace will prevail in their hearts. Let many of them that do not know you turn to you and bring healing to that land. Lord, I pray for those in Uvalde, Texas today, those who have lost loved ones, those who have lost children and grandchildren. Lord, somehow let that peace that passeth understanding, let it settle deep in their heart. Lord, our nation needs healing so badly. Our nation needs a bomb. Our nation needs your, your spirit, Lord, a bomb in Gilead, a healing portion. And Lord, I pray that you will Protect your people everywhere and bring peace and safety to our land. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. In 1859, Charles Dickens opened his novel, A Tale of Two Cities, with this line. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. I suppose that those two statements could pretty well describe the state of mankind in any given time in history. As I look over my own life, it seems that throughout my life, this world has gone through one crisis after another. Things that have arrested the attention of the entire nation and oft times the entire world, especially those who wish to stay abreast of what's happening in the world in which we live. Less than one year prior to my birth, World War II had come to an end. Hence, the large explosion of new births in 1946, heralding the arrival of what is now known as the baby boomers, as the men who would come to be known as the greatest generation made their way home from war. My father was among the number, having served in England for over three years. My mother and father were engaged prior to his going. He left the day after, after Christmas. And I've heard my mother refer to that almost every Christmas when she was still with us. It was tomorrow that Dad left for the war. 
Peace did not last long after that, though, as the Korean War began in 1950 and lasted through 1953. However, the 50s seemed to bring a renewed sense of hope. My first memory of the political world was actually in 1956. I was 10 years old. Dwight Eisenhower was running for re-election. There were badges with his smiling face, and it would say, I like Ike. I can remember in my fifth grade classroom, there were children who liked Ike. There were children who did not like Ike. Whatever they heard at home is what they carried to school with them. In 1959, Sputnik was launched. I remember it well. It was kind of a scary time. Sputnik sounds rather like nothing today with what all is going on, but it was thought that the Soviet Union had made a substantial leap in technology with the launching of Sputnik. Words like the Cold War and the Iron Curtain came into existence. School children went through drills learning how to crouch under their desk in case that bombs were starting to drop. However, many who lived through those times in the 50s look back on them fondly now as the good old days. The family unit was strong. Society was quite sensible for the most part. Rock and roll came into existence at that point. The Queen of England took her throne 70 years ago as they celebrate this, this weekend, the longest reign in the history of, of England. And then we, we get to the, the 60s. They brought a very emotional presidential election between Richard Nixon and Jack Kennedy. And shortly thereafter, be, started what has come to be known as the 60s Revolution. In my office at home, I have the cover of a Life magazine that is framed and hanging on the wall. It has pictures of the movers and shakers of the 60s. And in that, it says the headline on Life magazine, the 60s, decade of tumults and turmoil, and certainly it, it was. And after 60 years later, we reap the long-term effects of such other changes. There was the assass assassination of President Kennedy. All of us who were alive at that time, we all remember exactly where we were at that moment. The first American traveled in space, Alan Shepard. The Cuban Missile Crisis was a very dangerous time. And so we have endured through all of that. Woodstock, you remember Woodstock, which seemed to be just a debauchery time in our country. Vietnam was in full swing. Deadly protests came about. For me, the 60s, I went from age 14 to age 24. During that time, I got my driver's license. I graduated from high school. I got married. I went to Bible college. 
and I became a first-time dad. So the 60s were quite significant for me. The 70s brought Watergate and the, re the resignation of a United States president because of Watergate. On and on I could go into the 80s. There came, AIDS came into existence in the 80s. The Berlin Wall came down. Words like Chernobyl, Exxon oil spill, the Challenger explosion came into existence. The 1990s brought the Los Angeles race riots along with the Oklahoma City bombings, Columbine shooting, Monica Lewinsky, Waco, and the like. Racism reared its ugly head and permeated the national discourse. I'll not relive the 21st century except to mention the unbelievable tragic day of September 11, 2001. You might say, now Dana, why have you taken five minutes or so to go through all of that, all of that history? There's one reason that I want to remind us of that today, and that is to tell all of us and to remind us who lived through these times that through all of the crises of the past, that God's hand remained and stayed upon his people. Never one time did he leave. In fact, he still today in 2022 has not abandoned his people. The enemy never obtained enough power to put God out of business. Although way back in the 60s, there were some very foolish and unwise people who declared him to be dead. Well, let me tell you, he wasn't dead then, and he's not dead today. It's been less than two months ago that we gathered together in this sanctuary to rejoice and celebrate the risen Christ on Easter Sunday. And here we are not quite two months later, and I tell you that he's still alive. He's still powerful, and he's here to help any of us in whatever need that we might have. Neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear, neither is his arm short that he cannot save. And actually through all of those times that I have just reiterated, churches actually grew more than ever before. Millions came to know the Lord and were reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a lot of that was through radio and television. In fact, I got a text the other day or an email perhaps from a good friend of mine a good many years older than I am. And he said, Dana, I think that we, and he was referring to our previous denomination that we were part of. He said, I think that we live through the golden age of the church. And I tend to agree. However, today is a brand new day and a brand new time. Here's the biggest difference as I see between the history that I just related to you and today. Back then, there was sin, of course. There's always been sin from the Garden of Eden on. However, here's the difference. The sinners sinned, and they did not try to destroy those who didn't. 
they didn't try to make you accept their sin or cave in to it. During those years, most everybody knew right from wrong. Society still had pretty much of a moral basis. The Judeo-Christian ethic was still very much in force. Men married women. Good concept. You never heard of anyone wondering if they were a boy or a girl. God made it very easy to ascertain what gender we are. Boys did not go into girls' restrooms. Boys did not swim on girls' swimming teams. I saw a clip recently of a teacher. I don't know if she was kindergarten or first grade teacher. And she said, I have 32 students in my classroom, and out of 32, 20 of them are questioning and wondering about their gender. And she was giddy about it. She was laughing about it. How does that come to be? That's not something that just jumps up in some little tyke's mind, wondering things of that nature. But I report to you today that God does not make mistakes. That before we were formed in the womb, he knew us, and he has a plan for each and every life. He didn't make a boy and say, oh, that was supposed to be a girl. He didn't make a girl and then say, oh, my, goofed up on that one. That should have been a boy. That's not the way that it happens. He still has a purpose. It's beyond appalling to hear those who are in favor of murdering babies in their mother's womb. We have arrived at such a horrible place that if an abortion is botched for one reason or another and the baby is born and the mother does not want that baby, they can set that baby aside, give it no care, and just wait for it to die. That's the land in which we are living. That's what society, we as a church, are in and supposed to be changing. And yet, on the other hand, any person who disturbs, destroys, or in any manner damages, removes, or attempts to remove a bald eagle's nest or egg shall be guilty of a crime. It's almost getting somewhat embarrassing to ask God to continue to bless our country because he has certainly done that. And now so many are raising their fists to him and mocking him. We need to be reminded today, the Bible tells us that God is not mocked. That whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The past couple of years or so have brought unprecedented upheaval and turmoil to not only our nation, but the entire world as we faced a deadly pandemic. 
political tensions have reached a boiling point. Everything that can be shaken has been shaken or will be shaken. Pastors across this land have been shocked and dismayed at the toil, toll that such things have taken on those who at one day were considered to be spiritually strong and spiritually mature Christians. The scripture is so right when it says, take heed lest you fall. I want to remind us all today, there's not a one person within these four walls that is beyond the possibility of failing. Instead of being like a tree, immovable, planted by the water, we have the potential to be blown over by any wind the enemy wants to send our way. The whole world will be taken in by the Antichrist. And oh boy, have we, do we need today to have a discerning spirit. Remember this, that in the long run, it makes little difference as to what really goes on in this world. Because you know who's going to have the final say? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is going to have the final say. Let men do what they do. Someday the landlord is going to return. Someday he's going to make things right. Someday he's going to set up his earthly kingdom on this world, and I believe that it is, that it is very soon. He's not going to hold an election to see whether he wins or not. He's going to win all right. And he will never be impeached because he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the one who made it all, and it all belongs to him. Even in this treacherous day, the whole world is his. He holds the whole world in the palm of his hand. He's the one who made it to begin with. You know, we may be seeing the rumblings of something quite big with this Russia-Ukraine thing. The Bible teaches us about Gog and Magog. Gog referring to Russia, or Magog referring to Russia, Gog referring to the leader of Russia. You know what they're going to do if you know anything at all about Bible prophecy. Russia is going to move south. They're going to enter the land of Israel, and there's going to be a battle that supersedes all battles. And he, the king of kings, is going to come and settle the whole issue. I've related to you past challenges and present challenges through the past couple years. During that time, I think there are two messages that the church needed to hear. Number one is hope and faith over fear that God will see us through. God has not departed from his people. And that message has been preached abundantly across this land in every church that we should not cave in to fear. The second message that I feel should have been preached across the land and has not been nearly to the extent that I think that it should have, and that is, we, ha we have not heard nearly as much about it, that it's time for everyone to put God first in their lives.
be faithful in all things and get our house in order. My message today is one that if we let it and do it, it will relieve all fear. I want to read to you at this point from John chapter 15. And this is the crux of my message to you today. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. How many feel that way? Without him, we can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. I want to speak a little bit about bearing fruit. As we learn by the reading of that scripture, it is very, very important that those who follow him be fruitful. But the main thing that I want you to take out of this today, the main thought that I want to hopefully get in your heart is the title of my message, and that is Stay in Christ. Stay in Christ. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. He is our source. Everything must have a source of power. The car or whatever you came in today has to have a source of power to get you down the road. Without gasoline in that car, you will not be able to go any place. I'm now seeing the electrical things pop up for the electrical cars that are coming. I don't know how long it's going to take to charge one of those things. You might have a little weight on your hands that it looks like. A bulb is no good unless it has the source of electricity. A seed will remain dormant until it is put in the soil. And a Christian cannot bear food fruit unless that Christian is in Christ, because he is our source for everything. 
A person cannot be a fruitful Christian apart from Christ because he and he alone is our source. A lady told me one time who has a son who is a pastor that he took a particular church and that church had been through a time of testing and time of turmoil. And so he had come as the pastor. And um, one time the new pastor saw himself looking out over the congregation. And he was looking for one particular couple to see whether or not they were in church that Sunday. The reason he was looking for them was that husband and wife team were both doctors and their giving to the church was substantial. And he knew that if they were there, the offerings would be good that week. And so he wondered, are they here? Well, as the case would be, that's been some time ago, but when he, was, when he was looking out for them, he felt the Lord speak to him. And the Lord spoke to him and said, they are not your source. I am your source. I am your source. The medical couple has been long gone from that church. And today that church is a thriving church. I know of a man that told his pastor one time, without my tithing, this church will not make it. That man has been long gone from that church, and that church also today is a thriving church. Folks, we cannot look to man as our source. Your, your boss is not your source. Your company is not your source. If you are the Christian that you ought to be and you love God with all of your heart and you put him first as he tells us to do, he said that he would supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. So let's not look to the armor of the flesh anywhere. Let's keep our eyes focused upon him because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He who, he who began a good work in us is more than able to finish it until that great day. I've heard several people say, and I don't know if there's anyone here or not. There, there may have been. I, I can't remember exactly. But I've heard people say that in looking at this world, looking at the day and the things that we are facing, that they would hesitate to have babies because of the condition of the world. And I found myself well, I heard that at times, sometimes kind of buying into that. And I would say, well, I, I, I can understand that. Yeah, I, I'm concerned about my grandchildren, what they might be facing in this world, just what, what that could be. However, as I've thought a little bit more on that, I've kind of changed my tune. Didn't the Bible say, aren't we instructed to occupy until he comes? Aren't we supposed to carry on. This world can never become so bad and so corrupt that it overpowers his grace and his power. Believe me, he will never throw up his hands in frustration and say, oh, what, can, what do I do now? My goodness, that world is so bad. Oh, no, he will never cower in fear 
to the devil and his shenanigans, and neither should his people. I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. <laughs> hey, folks, amens don't scare me one bit. <laughs> it's still true. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That is never going to go away. That is never going to subside. He's going to remain greater in those who will let him be great. He'll be just as great in your life as you'll let him be. He is the vine. We are the branches. We must stay in Christ. We must abide in him in order to survive. But we should never forget that he is looking for fruit. John 15 sounds as though we had better produce some. And if not, you know what he does? He prunes us. He purges us. Verse 2 says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, pruning and purging hurts. And it says that if you're in Christ, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, there are a lot of folks that say, if you're a Christian, you know, oh, everything's just going to be wonderful. Just, you know, never. No, 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 no. No, that, that's, that's false doctrine. That is not the case. I remember as a young boy working in my folks' greenhouse, we had what was called one bed of carnations. It was probably 100 feet long and, I don't know, maybe six, seven feet wide. And carnations would grow the whole area. And as they came up and started to bud, at the tip of the carnation, there would be many buds, many buds. One main one and then a lot of them all around. And this was a job that I did not like but I did it because you were out like this. And I would take those, every stem of carnations, and I would take off all of the extra buds around. You know why? Because if I didn't, they would sap the strength of that plant, and there would be just little, little bitty flowers. But when you took off those little ones, and you pinched them or purged them, then you would get one big beautiful plant and blossom. I have seen trees that have been cut back. I mean, when at the top, you know, the smallest branch was about this big around. And I thought, oh my goodness gracious, whoever trimmed those trees sure killed them. They'll never be back. They'll, they'll never uh, come out of that. But then a year or two later, it was surprising how they had burst forth and it was a beautiful looking tree, but it needed that to happen before it could become that. I was thinking this week that one time Donna had a ladies banquet for the ladies in the church. It was held in the basement of the church. It was a nice area. And in the, in the room, the main room there, there, there were posts, there were poles, supporting poles. They were painted brown. And she got the idea, it was in the springtime, that I needed to go out into the woods and I needed to cut down some redbud branches. And I needed to take those posts and make a 
redbud tree out of that. So, like any good husband would, I did what I was asked to do. And I went out into the woods and I snipped and cut a bunch of redbud blossoms. So I took them to the church and I held them up and I, I taped them up there and boy did they look beautiful. You know the red bud is kind of a lavender color. Beautiful, beautiful tree. And uh, so there it was. I don't know, I think it lasted through, through the banquet and everybody thought it was so beautiful and so wonderful and, and it did look very nice. But you know where I'm going, that it wasn't long before those beautiful blossoms, those beautiful blooms began to wither and they totally died and they were good for nothing. And you know why? Because they were cut off from their source of life. Church, stay in Christ. Stay in Christ. Don't let the things of this world and the turmoil that is everywhere and all of the messes that we're facing today, don't let any of that distract you from your purpose. Why don't you say we, we keep the main thing the main thing? And it's the devil's job to distract us. It's the devil's job to get our eyes and our mind off of him and upon things around us. And if we aren't careful we can find ourselves separated from him. You know who those who are in Christ are? He is the vine, we are the branches. That's his body. He's the head. We are his church, the body of Christ. So if you're in Christ, you're in his church. And you can't say, oh, I, I love the vine, but I don't care for the branches. I just love this vine. I love Christ. But boy, I don't care much for his kids. The body must stay connected to the head. The branches must stay connected to the vine. If we do that, we will bear fruit. Now, I want briefly to go. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the fruit that we are to bear, but I do want to touch on it today. My main theme is stay in Christ. He's everything we need. He is our source. But the very minimum, the very basic fruit that we are produced is found in the book of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, now, let me say this before I read this scripture. I hear a lot of people talking about the fruits of the Spirit. It's not what the Bible says. It's not the fruits, plural. It is the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is not like the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, a person may have one or two or perhaps more, and not have them all, their gifts. But the fruit of the Spirit is what every Christian should produce because they are connected to the vine, and whatever the vine produces is what the branches are supposed to produce and have. So it is the fruit of the Spirit. 
And that means that we are supposed to have all of these things active in our life, not just a few of them. And this is what it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, which means self-control. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Most biblical scholars will divide the fruit of the Spirit up into three different ways, and that is love, joy, and peace are found within ourselves. Love is within our heart. Joy is in our soul. Peace is something that we have that surround us. Aren't you glad that even in the midst of the storm you can have peace today? Isn't it wonderful? And I know a lot of people that let the outside elements affect their, their peace and their joy. But I'll tell you what, we can be hid away in Him. And we can be so attached to Him that His love and His joy and His peace flow through us. And then the other three are things that we have toward others. Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness that we have. You know, as I think of my own life, there have been times that I've passed this test pretty good. And then there have been times that I've failed miserably. I have been surprised at myself at times how somebody has been able to do something to me and I've just, just taken it. Now let me, let me tell you men something. As men, macho, ego, we don't want anybody too much messing with us and putting us down or, you know, it, I, I don't have to take that. I don't have to put up with this. Who does he think he's talking to? Does he think he's going to get by with that? And we can rear up and boy, we can just go, go at it. But I've been surprised at myself how good I've been. I've had people curse at me and I've just stood there like the nice Christian boy that I am and take it. But there have been other times that I might have had a little bruise in my branch. And they start in some stuff. And if I'm in the flesh, I can give as good as I can get. And I'm not supposed to do that. Long-suffering. I have a friend that when he refers to long-suffering, he says, long-suffering. Gentleness. Christians should not be hard people. They should not have a hardness about them and goodness. And then the last three, faith, meekness, and temperance are things that we have toward God. Stay in Christ. Let me ask you today, just answering your own mind, does God allow things to happen in our lives that may be unpleasant in order to draw us closer to Him? 
you know, we've kind of got to the point that here's this gentle Jesus just standing at the door knocking. Oh, please let me in. Won't you let me in? Please let me in. Sometimes he kind of barges in the door. Sometimes he'll kind of knock you off your donkey. Ask Saul. If you want to read with the will the Lord do anything to cause us to turn from him, read about that experience that Saul had on the Damascus Road. Go back in the Old Testament and uh, ask Jonah, hey, if we disobey the Lord when we know better and we know that we should obey and we just don't, will he kind of shake us up a little? I think Jonah's got quite a story to tell about that. A friend of mine years ago wrote a song, Whatever It Takes for My Will to Break. That's what I'll be willing to do. I'll trade sunshine for rain. I'll trade comfort for pain. That's what I'll be willing to do. So whatever it takes for my will to break, that's what I'll be willing to do. I have heard the testimony of people who have had tragic things in their life that have been so, so hurtful. But later their testimony is this. I'm thankful for, thankful for that trial because that's the thing that got me to turn back to Christ. That's the thing that turned me around. So I say today that if you are here and you are a Christian and you're a believer, stay in Christ. And if you're here today and you aren't a part of the vine, you are not a branch of his church then it's time to become a part of his church. The, bless, the scripture tells us the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow to it. Everybody needs Jesus. And we are the ones that are to be his ambassadors. I hope we don't lose sight of the fact that there's a lost and dying world out there, that our mission of the church is to preach this gospel in all of the world, and then shall the end come. I grew up in a church that was very neglectful in reaching out and helping people in a physical way. And I think the thinking was that the mainline denominations did all of that. They cared for the poor. They did all of this. They did all of that. And many of them, that became their focus, and they lost out on our main mission, and that is saving souls. Not that our church did not give. It gave heavily to missions and to the work of the Lord. But we did very little or almost nothing in trying to reach the physical needs of mankind. That needed to change, and I'm glad that it has changed. And this church has been a great church in what it has done for the, for the physical needs of people, through food pantries, through bed brigade, and doing some of the delivering of the beds from time to time. I am appalled at some things that I see out there and the position that people find themselves in, reaching out to unwed mothers, reaching out to foster 
children that are about to get out of that program and provide a place for them. These are all wonderful. They are all good, and they're great. The church, let me, let me say this, that we should never lose sight of the fact that the best thing that we can ever do for anyone is give them Jesus. If we can get the gospel in the hearts of people, I have never seen anybody who has not been blessed and has not had a turnaround in their, their life. They can come to, to the Lord in a very destitute way, and if they will start to live right, if they will start to do right, if they will start to give the way the Lord asked them to give of their time, their finances, everything, I have seen the hand of the Lord upon them begin to bless them. Plus, not only that, not only are they blessed here, but they're missing out on a terrible place called hell, and they are going to inherit a wonderful place called heaven. First John 2.28 says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his appearing. Abide in him. I want to say this, that these branches that were cut off and thrown into the fire, you could pretty well make that out. They were cut off, withered, died, thrown into the fire. They were in Christ. They were in Christ. Don't ever think that you can say some little prayer or whatever and think that, boy, I'm just, I, I'm there. It doesn't, nothing else matters. That's not the case, friend. The Lord told us that they were in Christ, and if they do not bear fruit after the purging, there's a scripture about the husbandman digging around the tree, and somebody says, oh, let, let it go a little while longer. Maybe, maybe, I can, maybe I can bring it back to life. And they could not, and the tree was cut down. You remember the ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. The wise had oil, the foolish had had oil, and they had let it run out. I'm closing in just a moment. I'm sure that you have all heard about plea deals, plea bargains. That's when someone is, by all indications, guilty of some sort of a crime. And they're about to go before a judge or perhaps a jury that is going to decide their fate. And they know their chances aren't very good at getting out of whatever they did without a rather severe punishment. Sometimes the prosecutor, sometimes the judge will make a plea deal, a plea bargain. And that is this, that if you will plead guilty, if you will plead guilty to what you have done, we will go easier on you. You may still have to pay a price, but it will be a much lesser price. And they have to decide, what am I going to do? But you know what? For each one of us, the judge of all judges has offered us a plea deal. 
He says, if you will plead guilty, I will take your guilt. I have paid the price for your sin, for your crimes. How did he pay it? With his precious blood. So we can go free. And not only that, but along with missing that terrible place called hell, the judge says, I have gone to prepare a place for you. It's a beautiful place that where I am, there ye may be also. Streets of gold, gates of pearl, no tears, no sorrow, no darkness, no sickness, no pain, and reign with him forever and ever. I'm glad one day that I said, Judge, I'll take that plea deal. If you want to take my sin and forgive me of it, and I get all of that in return, I'm happy to submit to that. Friend, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, he offers that deal to you. He's given you a plea bargain. And you can either take it or you can refuse it. And if you refuse it, someday you're going to stand before him alone. Nobody there with you. You're going to stand before him. And he's not going to be your savior at that point. He's going to be your judge. So I say today, once again, if you're in Christ, stay in Christ. If you're not in Christ, get there. It's the best decision you will ever make. I intend to stay with him. I don't want to go through what this world may be facing without Christ. The storm may be raging, but as long as he is in our boat, everything's going to be all right.